0: Hello and welcome to the 27th episode of Tailoring in Conversation. In this series I'll be talking to tailors, business owners, cloth merchants and other industry participants from all around the globe to gain a better insight into their worlds. My guest for today is Marloos Dotswell. Marloos is a professional corsetier and embroiderer based in Delft, a small and yet international town in the Netherlands. In her work, she brings natural history and art together with an exceptional amount of craftsmanship and detail. In our conversation for today, we're going to be talking about corsets, embroidery, her background, and more. So, let's get started. Marluz, thank you very much for, for making the time. I've been really looking forward to talk to you as you uh, have a set of skills that I uh haven't seen in anyone in my surroundings, so um, I think people are going to enjoy this conversation. I'll do my best to ask the right questions. But first of all, hello and how are you?
1: Well, thank you for having me. First of all, and uh, I'm very excited and also a little bit nervous, but uh, hopefully I'll get through. That <laughs> I'm sure we'll um, get through that. I'm really well, and <laughs> I'm really well, and I hope you are as well.
0: Well I I I'm 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 actually enjoying the conversation we're going to have. So um the f- the first question I'd like to ask you uh especially you because you seem to be making very unique things that fall outside of the practical domain for the everyday person. What I would like yeah. to ask you is when you were a kid growing up like around 10, 11, 12. What type of a kid were you? I mean, in what sort of a world was your fantasy and and how did you see the world and explore the world around you? Ooh,
1: interesting question. Um, I was definitely uh, a dreamer. I think on every school report it would have been said or mentioned somewhere don't stare out the window so much and uh, get back on earth you know (laughs) I was always (laughs) off in my own little world and Mm. uh, always making things making things out of uh, scraps of fabric materials unusual things and also uh, a lot of um, oh my my mom always um, hated that I was cutting up all her magazines before she could read them so I Mm. would uh, click through it and then just cut out everything I liked and put it in a big scrapbook. And then she Mm. would be like, what happened to this page? (laughs) There's something missing. But yeah, just off with the Pixies for sure. Uh, Mm -hmm. I would read a lot as well. Uh, A lot of uh, books that I wasn't even allowed to take outside of the library because uh, the age on my past would not let me. (laughs) So when I was 10, I would be reading uh, lots of uh, novels uh, from the adult section and Mm -hmm. um, they didn't let me take them home, so I would just sit there all day and like read them
0: there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What sort of novels were you reading, if if I may ask?
1: Uh, A lot of historical uh, novels, so uh, partly based on actual uh, historical events, but also Mm -hmm. from a slightly different perspective sometimes, Mm -hmm. so I would love to read um, books about uh, Arthurian legends, but then uh, mm-hmm. I would l- really like it if it was written by a female, uh, so it would be completely a different story than just about mm-hmm. heroes and knights and evil women that are that are witches, you know. Yeah. Uh, but like, what? Tell, tell me the other side of the story. I was very curious to know um, different
0: perspectives on historical mm-hmm. happenings and situations. Yeah, yeah, and and so when. What was the earliest? Me- what is the mer- earliest memory you have from something you made, or the first time you remember that you thought I have to put a few things together and make something out of it? Okay. Uh, well, uh, I come from quite a
1: creative family anyway. So my hmm. grandmother and my mother both sew a lot. And nice. uh, I would then uh, get some of the scraps of fabric that they would have left. Um, or have left over. And then I would then um, see something uh, in a museum or I would uh, fantasize about what would this person be wearing that I'm reading about, Mm -hmm. you know, like what would they be wearing? And uh, just trying out things. And of course, stitches, you know, this big and uh, things that I would have to sew myself into because I wouldn't have a zipper or, Mm -hmm. or buttons or anything. Or I would use buttons that were so obnoxiously big but made out of uh, mother of pearl and Mm. I would just think oh all the colors come together in this so I just want Mm. to wear it and it doesn't matter if it it looks ridiculous to other people I'm just going to wear it and my mom would say to me you can't wear it at the school you know don't do it because people (laughs) will talk you know I mean growing Mm. up in the Netherlands you know, I mean, you can't wear anything that is outrageous because people will point and laugh in your face. So mm. uh, she would say, don't wear it to school. And of course, I would then just stuff it in my backpack mm. and wait till I was at school and then quickly get changed until one of my teachers phoned my mom and asked her, like, don't you guys have money at home? Because <laughs> she wears these rags. I mean, <laughs> you know, what's yeah. gonna, What's happening in your your family yeah <laughs> so, yeah. So, but I think I was about seven or eight years old when I started doing that and mm. then it just kind of exploded when I went to high school and everyone was wearing like expensive sneakers and expensive like track suits that I mm. couldn't figure out I just didn't know why people would want to wear that at all because mm. I didn't think it was it didn't look expensive to me like when I think of expensive clothes, I think of uh, beautiful silks and um, mm-hmm. cashmere and, you know, handmade uh, mm-hmm. with, like, proper proper materials and not something mm-hmm. with just a brand stamped on top of it, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. So
1: I just uh, I just started, the, yeah, um, exploring, uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: making my own things and just – wearing whatever the hell
0: i wanted <laughs> uh, was it yeah. was it mainly clothes that you were making or were you also making because w- looking at, at the work you create you also make you know small object-like things uh, and of yeah. course the materials that you use are still the the threads and the fabrics and and, and the other yeah. things that that make up the beautiful work that you make but were you also interested in in making like other objects out of, I don't know, wood or metal or glass or whatever? Well,
1: um, uh, not so much out of uh, wood and metal, but uh, I definitely worked with a lot of beads, but I used to really love uh, sculpting with clay as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I love painting as well, drawing. I was always drawing, sketching, um, Mm. trying to like mimic an oil painting, but then with like cheap watercolors, you know,
0: <laughs> like yeah, yeah, just
1: trying to make the most of the little material that we had at home. Uh, but yeah, just being innovative with whatever was laying at hand. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so what did you do at school when you grew up later on? Like when you were 16, 17, 18, how did you choose your direction and how did you decide, you know, because I, I've I've lived in the Netherlands as well and, and I kind of like have an idea of how the yeah. the the clo- the handmade bespoke clothing sector is there it's it's pretty small although it's growing now but Yeah how did you really decide this is what I want to do and I want to do it in this country
1: Oh I think I think none of those things is what what really drew me into what I do now. I think Mm. I always was making things. I was always creating things. I was always thinking of um, uh, ways to make that what I was dreaming of a reality. And Mm. people would always say to me, you know what you should do, you should go to art school. So I thought, okay, that is it. I'm going to art school. Um, I didn't know which one. I didn't know... uh, What that actually meant. It just, it was just something that resonated with me. And it was also seen as, to me, the only option out there that would make sense for me Mm -hmm. to go and pursue. But then, because I was such a dreamer and such a, um, I had very um, particular interests. So uh, I was terrible at uh, mathematics, for instance, science Mm. also, just, it didn't really. Grab me the way that history and biology uh, would, mm-hmm. and also languages. I really, I do like languages as well. Um, mm. And uh, so my markings on that, on those subjects that I wasn't so good at, were so terrible that that kind of uh, drew my whole, uh, yeah, educational uh, mm. level down. And mm. uh, over here in the nineties, especially. Um, They decided that it doesn't matter if you're really good at one thing or like a little section of things, if you Mm -hmm. can't perform well on the other stuff, then your whole um, level of education has to be lowered. So, Mm -hmm. uh, I, yeah, we have a a strange kind of uh, uh, high school system where you have different levels uh, Mm -hmm. of education. So, you've got the more academic. Uh, level where you can go straight to university afterwards and the one underneath that is you go straight to college afterwards and then the mm-hmm. other one is the MAFO is where you finish at 16 and you go and do something practical with your life so you mm-hmm. go into mechanics or um, uh, beautician uh, education or uh, yeah just things that are very practical and mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I went from being at the highest level entry point high school. I did two years of that. And then I was dropped two levels with no prospect of going to art school because that's the university level over here. Yes. So, um, I just I didn't know what to do with myself. I just thought that's it. I have mm. failed at life and yeah. I just really to start over and. Just, uh, I didn't know what to do with myself. I went and um, made a portfolio for a, a graphic design school. And mm-hmm. uh, they said, okay, well, interesting things you brought to us. They are too artistic.
0: They're Where was this graphic design school?
1: Oh, it was in, in Utrecht. Uh, okay. Yeah, it was in yeah. Utrecht. And I thought, okay, well, this may be my little step up to go to art school. So I'll do this mm. first. And mm. then when I finish that, I will, I will continue growing and
0: It, go to, it is funny to art school. when you say, it is funny when you say you went to an art school and they told you you're too creative.
1: It was too creative. They said, we we really want to see instantly when we open your your, your portfolio, we want to see what it's about. And oh, yeah. you have so many stories. There are too many stories around it. It's not Mm -hmm. instantly clear what what it is that you want to Mm -hmm. um, uh, vocalize through your art. It's too Mm -hmm. artistic. uh, uh, And what what we do as a school is um, uh, we uh, help people to become uh, graphic designers. And that Mm -hmm. means that uh, they make a billboard in the middle of uh, a park and everyone mm-hmm. looks at this billboard and they need to know what it's about. They mm-hmm. need to be grabbed and what you do, it's too arty. You should yes. go to art school. Uh-huh. <laughs> I see,
0: I see, I see. Art okay. I'm
1: 16 <laughs> and I can't go to art school because I need something for, to do first um, mm-hmm. and then I can uh, move upwards. And they said we don't want to be seen as a stepping stone for you. So mm. off you go, uh, we we don't want that. So I had like two weeks um, to decide on what else I wanted to do with my life. Uh, mm. And of course, being 16, you have to go to school. So there's no two ways about it. Um, and a few years before that, I got some study books from my grandmother. I think she got it off a friend who somewhere in the 70s, uh, did um, uh, a fashion uh, uh, degree uh, in Leiden. And all Mm -hmm. the study books that she had, uh, she gave to me. And Mm -hmm. I taught myself how to pattern draft. Like, I could pattern draft by the time I was 13, 14. uh, Mm -hmm. And they were all based in Rundschau. um, Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah method uh, of, mm-hmm. uh, drafting pattern so I taught myself how to do formulas. so for someone who's not very good at mathematics I can <laughs> draft patterns <laughs> mm-hmm. and manage to teach myself how to do that to make mm-hmm. things actually fit my body um, mm-hmm. and so I went for an interview at the fashion school here in the Hague and uh, they said uh, so what draws you in I'm like well I'm really into drawing creating and everything and i make my own clothes but i want to know how to do it properly like
2: mm.
1: for real and um, uh, they said oh we can see on your uh, form that you can also draft patterns and uh, they said you probably mean you trace them out of a magazine and i'm like no uh, <laughs> i taught myself how to do a it they're like what <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh Basically the person that interviewed me said, don't get your hopes up. Like you don't uh, design here. You don't learn how to run a company. What you learn here is to work in an atelier um, and you do just do production. It, mm-hmm. That means you need to work fast, need and don't ask any questions. Uh, mm-hmm. All you have to do to apply to the school is prove that you are a person. So you need a passport and you need to prove that you're breathing that's it so <laughs> that's how I ended up at fashion school <laughs> here mm-hmm. in the Netherlands
0: and yeah was, right. Right. Uh, and, yeah. and so did you because you're specialized in making corsets and yeah um, corsets are something very specialized not only because well not everyone wears corsets nowadays and learning how to make corsets is also something that is like it, it's, it's pretty intense. So did you know that you wanted to specialize in corsets or was that something that just naturally developed as you kind of like went through your career?
1: Uh, it kind of naturally de- de- developed where I, mm-hmm. I'd like to do a lot of dressing up as well mm-hmm. as a teenager. And uh, I always had a fascination for corsets and mm-hmm. watching um, like costume dramas with my mother. Uh, and with my grandmother as well, mm-hmm. um, I was just always enthralled by uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: these these corsets that everyone was uh, mentioning to be torturous and horrible to wear and painful. And um, uh, I was just intrigued by it. I don't know uh, mm-hmm. exactly how to explain it, uh, but just something that uh, forms a foundation of your garment. I mean, it just completely um, uh, it, it, it defines the way the rest of the clothes fit, uh, fit your body and mm-hmm. uh, it's such a foundation garment as well that um, I was just very interested in how to make it uh, so mm-hmm. it would fit well and mm-hmm. uh, after buying one I mean I, I saved money for ages to buy one mm-hmm. off the rail <laughs> put it on and I thought yeah they're not lying It. It hurts. It's mm-hmm. horrible to wear. It's uh, it's not comfortable at all. Like, um, and uh, But I decided that that is because it is not made for me. It is such mm-hmm. a close-fitting garment. You have so little room for error that if a seam lies over a point where uh, it can hit your rib or the, mm-hmm. the point of the hip bone, then that can be so uncomfortable. And it, just by shifting it a little bit, Um, Mm. uh, it can be a different experience. And also the shape Mm. of the course is so important to get right as well. So um, the ones that you buy in a shop most of the time uh, and the ones that you order online from like uh, mass-produced, that are mass-produced in uh,
2: Mm.
1: other countries, uh, they're usually just tubes. Like a cylinder, there's no shape to them. They have right. like metal tubing in them, but they mm-hmm. have no real shape. So they compress your whole body. So everything is just kind of squished together, and it mm-hmm. doesn't really do, give you a nice shape. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, by studying uh, corsets in uh, museums and mm-hmm. uh, uh, books, I... Kind of discovered that the shape of the of the course really defines how it fits as well so mm-hmm. um there's a lot of optical illusion going on with corsets as well where mm-hmm. you kind of alter the proportions of a person so you make them a little bit unnatural and just mm-hmm. by changing small things and small sections of the body uh mm-hmm. it does something to your eyes you know it just it makes you think, of, oh my god, that person has got an hourglass figure when they're mm-hmm. usually more a potato, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that doesn't mean that they're being um, like squished and in a in a horrible way. It's just that mm-hmm. you kind of sculpt the body and you also build out certain other uh, areas. So you mm-hmm. can use a bit of padding for the hip area or for mm-hmm. the bust, or and just by doing those kind of little things, you can change the
0: way someone looks at the Mm. What I find very interesting from what you said, um, I find everything interesting so far, but one thing very particular was that you, you emphasize how important seam placement is for corsets and that it massively affects the comfort of the corset. And so, how would you say, I mean this is a very this is actually a side question, but I'm just curious to know, what are your margins for seam placements or displacements within corset making? I mean, how how, how much can you offset a seam until it starts to become really uncomfortable?
1: Uh, there are no limits, really, mm-hmm. in, in what you I mean, you can make a corset with very minimal boning. I mean, the mm-hmm. only reason that the boning really is in there is to keep the, the tension of the fabric uh, mm-hmm. vertical uh, so you, 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 uh-huh. like if you make a seam mm-hmm. there and you start to tighten it it starts to compress and it mm-hmm. makes wrinkles in the waist area yeah. and uh, it's just tension marks and you're trying to kind of eradicate that by uh, putting mm-hmm. in the boning it just it needs to be in there quite securely quite sturdily and like really sewn in uh, mm-hmm. so it has no uh, area to move about because mm-hmm. um, then you get those uh, tension lines again, uh, and mm-hmm. the way you place your your uh, the lines, the seams, uh, it, like mm-hmm. not behind every seam there needs to be a bone placement. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, for example, a lot of Edwardian corsets where the, um, the seams are not at all corresponding with the the boning. One mm-hmm.
0: here. <laughs> Fantastic. Show until, but, uh, wow. Like
1: there's um, there's not actually that many panels in here. There's mm-hmm. one here. There's a gusset here. Uh, then there's um, one part here and a gusset as well. And then mm-hmm. there's the back the back area. Mm-hmm. But uh, the seams go. He nah, piggledy the Like here, there's a curved one. There's the gusset. But all the boning channels are just
2: straight. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, Two oh, at a time.
1: Straight, yeah. Mm-hmm. So so that's one way of doing it, and then the outer uh, seam um, proportions or placements can be anywhere you want because mm-hmm. they, they don't really uh, correspond with the burning channels. And right. but then you could also in like modern uh, like more modern corsetry, you see that uh, the the seams do become the channels as well for mm-hmm.
2: the, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
1: the and then it um I like to like give or take like uh, uh make panels that are no more than an inch and a half wide
2: mm-hmm.
0: between bones i see it yeah. just
1: creates a smoother overall mm-hmm. look uh but um yeah you can you can widen that or or you can just make like a really old fashioned stays uh, for instance. They would just mm-hmm. bone all over. It. It's just one mm-hmm. thing of
2: boning. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Do you prefer narrower panels because it allows you to have more panels with less intake on each panel so that you're yes. c- yeah. right? I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So,
1: for instance, if you have like the two panels that would usually uh, shape the, the bust area, if mm-hmm. you just do two, then mm-hmm. you can just make. A one curved uh shape
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and you get kind of like a pointy cup um, and you get creases uh underneath mm-hmm. the the rest as well, which can be just the battery by mm-hmm. dividing those two panels up in four or mm-hmm. even more, you can really uh create a a, a round effect and,
0: mm-hmm. um, and a better so distribution mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. yeah. Okay,
1: now. And that's
2: also the for the hip,
1: um, the hip yeah. uh, sorry, <laughs> for the hip and the waist. Like, the more you take in the waist um, mm-hmm. and uh, the more you leave, like, the hip part alone of a corset, uh, um, if there's a huge difference between waist and hip, uh, mm-hmm. if you only divide that difference in four panels, like, all around, then mm-hmm. you, you get. There's too much of a difference, and you get a really strange shape um, that mm-hmm. only protrudes on one side. And if you divide that up more, then you can make it more gradual. And, yeah.
2: mm mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. I have experienced that as well. I mean, not met with not with corsets, but in general, suppression seems to be a lot more friendly when there is more of it, but then less in in quantities of yeah. intake. Um, a question I have is: Nowadays, in t- in today's era, let's say, apart from people who who do theater or or are specialized in making costumes, or even people who do uh, you know dress up for parties and stuff, who wears corsets? Wh- who are the corset wearing clients these days? Would you say? Um, uh,
2: well, I
1: have. Clients from all walks of life, uh, mm-hmm. and all sorts of occasions they wear them. Um, mm-hmm. And actually more than we might think sometimes. So okay. um, we tend to think it's a very niche thing, but actually like the the, the foundation of a, a bridal dress can also be a corset. It's sort of like a corset. Most of the I time see. it's more like a bustier, And there's a huge difference between Like a proper corset and a bustier, although some, Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, lines get faded sometimes, of course, Mm -hmm. between those two. But uh, like uh, uh, um, when you have like a a well-fitting wedding dress, like usually Mm -hmm. the top part is also they use some kind of boning or Rigiline or something to keep the shape up um, Mm -hmm. and uh, to not create those wrinkles in areas mm-hmm. where there might be compression. And a lot of uh, off-the-rack um, kind of wedding dresses are all about compression. I mean, I've had brides in tears in, the, in my shop, uh, try, uh, you know, just asking me, what can I do to make this not so painful to wear? Um, mm-hmm.
0: And uh, um, yeah, just, um, the, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. Yeah, no, that's good to know because uh, yeah what you're actually describing there is is beyond the immediate kind of because um at least i don't I don't know much about corsets and when I think about people wearing corsets, I actually try to imagine who would wear like an actual proper corset but as you're describing it 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 seems that you know the the concept of of corset can also be diffused into other types of garments that are as rigid as, let's say, bridal wear or other types of garments that that yeah, have yeah. the same yeah, kind so of structure. It, it, it,
1: yeah. yeah, so mm-hmm. I, I've got uh, clients that wear it as evening wear when they go to a gala. Instead of mm-hmm. wearing, like, uh, a, a sequined uh, dress, um, mm-hmm. they want, like, a beautifully fitted corset made out of silk with
2: mm-hmm. or
1: without embroidery on it. Um, something that can become a conversation piece as well. Um, mm-hmm. and they wear it with a, a pair of really nice palazzo trousers or or a, a beautiful skirt, you know and it it can be an yeah like a um yeah just a fashionable option instead of mm-hmm. just having the dress, you know uh, yeah mm-hmm. and I've also got uh people that are really into uh reenactment uh and uh like want something that is historically accurate. Uh, yeah. Now I can do that, but it's not—it's not completely where my passion lies.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but uh, I, I, it, it helps me immensely to know all the different uh, techniques from over the ages and
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: to come up with also new ideas for myself
2: mm-hmm.
0: on how
1: to construct a corset.
2: Uh,
0: mm-hmm. and, uh, I didn't ask you, where Where did you learn how to make corsets? How? Uh, where did you learn it? And, and I want to do a follow-up question so you can tell me that as well. What mm-hmm. was the process of learning corsets like? Like, what is step one, step two, step three? And how does one develop the ability to make corsets?
1: Um, well, how it started for me was by watching all those movies and thinking... I, I want to know what it feels like to wear one. I want to own one. Uh, yeah. And and then it naturally became a thing of I want to also make them because mm. what I can find in a shop just is so limited. Like it, e- it either paid, caters for the fetish industry, which is just a completely different thing altogether, or mm-hmm. it's um, uh, like a fashion top, but... It doesn't do anything shape-wise it just it just it doesn't uh sit well on the body so there was just nothing that corresponded to what i had in mind what i really wanted and so i was at fashion school and i decided like okay at some point we're going to be learning how to do this Mm -hmm. like when you know like year one making um, a blouse and we're making a skirt and we're making a waistcoat and uh, a pair of jeans and then second year making a dress and a coat and i'm like and when 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 are we going to make like any kind of foundational garments like Mm -hmm. uh, and they're like oh no we're not doing that like that's just not being taught at all i was Mm -hmm. like but but, okay where do i start i mean this is in the time when there wasn't really internet or you know Mm -hmm. or youtube or anything i didn't know anyone that was into the same thing as I was, Uh, certainly not wearing it, Uh, maybe uh, admired it as well by watching it on TV or something, but never the the desire to actually be able to make any. So uh, when I bought my first one uh, and decided that's not, that's definitely not how it should fit. I I unpicked half of it, with the idea that I could then trace the pattern pieces and alter uh, them where I thought I needed more room, more room mm. about, uh, around the hips, uh, more room around the actual rib cage, and then maybe slightly more compression on the waist, um, but uh, not anywhere else. And mm. uh, so I started doing that, and I made a lot of things that were just, you know, renders uh been worthy and uh, you know yeah, you, have, yeah. you have to make a lot of monsters before you start making something that makes sense
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh but it's just perseverance and making it and mm-hmm. not letting anything stop you mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh well, just um i I try to go to as many museums as I could uh and just observing like. What you would do if you're into painting and you mm-hmm. get up close to, uh, mm-hmm. to a painting, you see all the layers. All of a sudden, you start seeing layers. It's mm-hmm. not a huge picture anymore. You mm-hmm. start to see what they've been doing, what they're trying to do. Like, how mm-hmm. can you make something, uh, like a little blob look like a pearl from, mm-hmm. you know, two meters. But, like, yeah. what happens after this? And that's what I did with courses as well. I try to get as close to the things as I could um, and and just observe like what layers can I spot, uh, what mm-hmm. stitching is used. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a lot of dodgy stitching around. I always mm-hmm. thought that everything that was sewn by others is immaculate, <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> Why it, is that? You know, <laughs> I would go to these fashion um, exhibitions, uh, yeah. like when I lived in London for a little while, I'd go to the Victoria and Albert Museum and I'd be horrified mm. to see things up close made by these big houses, big names. Like, oh my God, there's yeah. a safety pin. There's not mm-hmm. even a zip. Like,
2: yeah. you know, but yeah.
1: looking at the horses and especially the ones that are kind of degrading or, you know, like mm-hmm. disintegrating, Yeah, disintegrating disintegrated. Uh, when when they're kind of rotting away, you can see the layers. It's like, oh, mm. ah, so those channels, you can make them part of the seam with your seam allowance, or mm. they can just be separate channels all together. And mm-hmm. like, are they made out of twill, uh, like little strips of twill, or are they made out of the same material as the rest of the course it is made out of? What mm-hmm. are, you know, are they all uh, steel boned or do they use other things like we hear about these whale bones like were mm-hmm. they actual whale bones that they work but like mm-hmm. what why would you use that instead of the steel and what difference does it make and just experimenting and mm-hmm. making as many as i as i could and mm-hmm. then uh, when i moved to london after i finished uh, uh, school here i i, I quickly escaped uh, to London because that seemed to me the place where I could mm. learn different things to that to what was on offer over here. Um, mm. So I would go to museums all the time just to have a, just to look and observe and uh, and try out. And there mm. were other corset wearers in London as well. There's a lot mm-hmm. of people that wear them, and so yeah just being inspired also by others and uh, yeah
0: mm.
1: that's the, that's kind i of i get way. the
0: sense i i get the sense that you are a very um you are kind of, you you have a good ability to analyze things technically and to decompose mm-hmm. them i mean that's the way you talk about the, looking at other people's work and kind of like extracting layers and kind of like putting them in your own work and being able to to find a way to incorporate that. How much of that analytical skill that you developed over time was because of your curiosity? And how like you were so curious that it just automatically developed. That's what I mean. And how much of it did it come from actually you – Uh, consciously decomposing things like in notebooks and and sketching your way through the process of reverse engineering. How was that process for you? Uh,
1: I think what I do a lot is I overthink things Mm -hmm. a lot. So so when I go and look at one item, it, it can be that I'm thinking about that for weeks on end. Even... Um, like stopping for a little while, but then two months later, I think, oh, that's how they did it. Mm -hmm. Just trying out all the different ways, like mostly in my head as well, because I do, I I used to do a lot of sketching, a lot of writing about it. And then for some reason, I kind of, it became less. I did that less. And I started um, just making more uh, with Mm -hmm. the time that I had. So Mm -hmm. trying to just produce, and then um, just by playing around with things, also um, discovering different ways of going about it. and then combining that with what I've seen uh, in other people's work and then mm-hmm. just, just thinking about it the whole time. Like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah,
2: yeah. When so sometimes
1: say, uh, especially if I'm, no, if I'm working on a uh, commission uh, mm-hmm. or something, then uh I tend to even dream about it, you know, and then you, you feel yeah. like you've made it six times already. So then when, you, when it comes to actually making it, it mm-hmm. becomes so much easier. Yeah,
0: Right. You obsess literally about the work. That's how you could explain it.
1: <laughs> One could say so. Yes. <laughs>
0: so, so yeah. I'm curious to know when you say you used to sketch and write about it, what did you mm-hmm. write?
1: Uh, it, I wanted to um, uh, to make my notes so that if I didn't look at them for a few years and I mm-hmm. would rediscover them, that I would know what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. So not just using key phrases, but really more detailed work mm-hmm. so that I didn't have to reinvent really the wheel. Although just by writing it down, it becomes more uh, uh, a physical thing. And then it's like mm-hmm. writing a little note um, at school, you know, before your exam and you want to yeah. just <laughs> your <laughs> in your pen case, just just in case and just yeah. by writing it out a few times, you never mm-hmm. need it again in your life. Like you will remember mm-hmm. it for the rest of your life. All the other stuff you'll forget, but mm-hmm. that remains. remain. So, um, yeah, just uh, – and also because um, I just I'm, – I'm intrigued by uh, – like not just other artists, but also uh, philosophers, uh, uh, writers, and just how they uh, document everything. So um, uh, looking at books, uh, like notebooks by Mm -hmm. da Vinci, or like people like that, just, you know, it's just, I I like the combination of the uh, illustration that you make with the writing, with a nice, uh, neat, uh handwriting and uh um you know even down to what kind of ink you use or what kind of Mm -hmm. pen you use to write it down like
2: i just it
1: it became a little bit of an obsession for me to like make it really nice everything Mm -hmm. really nice all the time so but that also constricts you a little bit um Mm -hmm. uh, because then it just yeah if you if it then um, yeah, kind of stopped me a little bit to uh, um, be more free about it. You mm-hmm.
2: know,
0: it had to mm-hmm. all be in
1: a certain way or it didn't make sense. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Have you noticed that as you were writing about the things you were exploring or, or trying to figure out that as you were writing you also came up with new ideas did you experience mm-hmm. that as well or was it more like oh, yeah. I'm, I'm just noting down what I already know? How was that?
1: No, no, no. It, it is usually in in writing it down, in really having to, to find words to describe what you're doing, um, mm-hmm. it kind of um, makes you think. About other ways as well. That was also one of the things that I really hated then, because then I'd have to cross out certain things, yeah. <laughs> and then make a mess of my notebook. But remove a whole page or a whole section of it,
0: mm-hmm. and it just became a <laughs> thing. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, how, when, and how did you get into embroidery? Because, and and this is my ignorant. Yeah. And this is this is my ignorant mind. I I don't know. Are corset making an embroidery throughout history closely related or is this something that you have kind of like combined your passions together?
1: I think I combined two passions together I I think because corsets were originally an undergarment they didn't need to be really um, hmm. decorated often because uh, no one would see them right. um, so you decorate them with a bit of lace and also because of all the other layers that you wear on top it becomes damaged quickly. Mm -hmm. So anything that you would put on there in, um, in embroidery would just kind of wear away. And because what I do, uh, the courses that I tend to make are not usually for underwear. Uh, Mm -hmm. They're usually for um, outerwear um, Mm -hmm. to wear for events or uh, weddings or things like that. They, they are allowed to be seen. And, um, I tried my hand at embroidery when I was really young and Mm -hmm. my mom does a lot of um, uh, cross-stitch and uh, she thought it would be really fun for me to also do this, but I would get like um, a ready-made little package with a design already printed on the fabric uh, with the colors that were for that picture and that picture only and uh, and you had to do cross-stitch, and which meant to me that you can see a lot of the fabric in mm-hmm. between all the stitches and I want to fill it up and yes. I want to paint with it. Mm-hmm. I want to yeah, get used as if it, if it were paint. So I don't want to see the fabric in between my stitches and this um, this little package, however darling it was, it was to me completely boring and mm-hmm. a waste of my time because mm-hmm. someone had already thought of it, already made already made the design for it. There was no, nothing of me that I could add to it,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: that really felt limiting. And it felt like a chore. Like I didn't want to do it. And even to this day, my my mother can cross stitch meters of fabric, in most beautiful patterns. But mm-hmm. it uh, it's not something that I that I find enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then. I, I just wanted to um, uh, yeah decorate the corsets with embroidery, uh, but very uh, particular things that I would think of or that I was inspired by.
2: And I just mm-hmm. couldn't
1: find anything. And then I had a friend who bought herself a embroidery machine and um, she found this website where they had all sorts of designs like you can think of it and it was there like it was just such a huge library of designs there was always something that you could use to make but because it was her machine I couldn't use it and I would ask her like oh can you can you embroider this uh this design for me then I can use it on one of my courses and she would go and change the colors on me like (laughs) yeah I just improved I improved and like no but I wanted it like that and um not being in control mm-hmm. of the of the situation also also feeling kind of um uh, like I wasn't partaking in the embroidery itself like you mm-hmm. put the design into the machine mm-hmm. you press play you sometimes have to change the color of the thread
2: mm-hmm. and
1: sometimes you need to re-thread the needle uh because it come undone but other than that it does its own thing you know yeah. it is i didn't really do anything i can't take credit for it and mm-hmm. uh, the only thing you can do is make coffee you know I, <laughs> but i can leave the machine alone to stitch and i can mm-hmm. go and make the coffee so it didn't feel like i was really doing anything that was yeah that i would say i made mm-hmm. so um uh, but it didn't stop me from buying my own embroidery machine. And mm-hmm. so I bought one eventually. And I just, oh, the hassle with that thing. Oh my God. I honestly, I, I threw it into the canal. It was just, <laughs> it's like halfway through your embroidery, it would just move like yeah. a millimeter out of line, and your whole garment is ruined. So I just thought, okay, I'm just not, I'm not. I'm not doing this anymore Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm just going to do it by hand because Mm -hmm. as with like regular sewing that that I do like everything that you do by hand you Mm -hmm. have control over maybe that's the thing that I really like as well Mm -hmm. Um, you can decide where the stitch goes you can Mm -hmm. feel the fabric all of the fabric and all Mm -hmm. of the material in your fingers and you can feel what every layer is doing so if I put it underneath the machine, I have to think about a lot of other things, like yeah. how, how much drag is there from yeah. the transport and how much uh, of the foot uh, is uh, pressing down on my fabric. Do I have to pull one layer more than the other to mm-hmm. get a proper stitch? Like there's so many things, like mm-hmm. something could have slipped and you don't notice until it's. It's stitched together, you know. Yeah, so the, yeah. the thing by hand, I really really liked. And then I had the opportunity to do some embroidery, uh, because, like usually, I also kind of wait for someone to ask me to make something. So someone will give me a commission. They say, "I want a corset. It needs to be that color. It's for this occasion. Uh, can you design some, uh, uh, some different options for me?" And mm-hmm. then, uh, and that's what I do. But I mm-hmm. thought I want to do even more. And what is, um, do I need to wait for someone to order one or can mm-hmm. I just go, and, go ahead and make it? And, and suggested, uh, yeah. I, yeah. Just I just decided that this is it. I'm going to mm-hmm. now just, uh, experiment with embroidery. So there was this, uh, uh um, this uh, a woman from a few centuries ago, uh, Maria Tibila Merian, and mm-hmm. she um, uh, was a naturalist uh, a biologist, but also an artist. So she uh, made a, a book of all the flora and fauna in uh, Suriname. Mm. And uh, she was one of the first women scientist that was actually allowed to go on sort of a business
2: trip
1: to document all the native species of plant and um, animals. And mm-hmm. uh, I saw her drawings um, uh, when I was really small in this beautiful museum in Harlem called the Taylor's uh, Museum. And uh, I was always so fascinated because it wasn't just pictures of beautiful flowers and butterflies. No, it was about every stage of this butterfly. So egg mm-hmm. to larva to caterpillar uh, to uh, cocoon chrysalis and actual butterfly. And mm-hmm. it would show uh, the, the plant that these species would would live on. Mm -hmm. as well but with like uh, little bites taken out of the leaves or Mm -hmm. you know like imperfections impurities maybe um, just interesting more interesting than just a beautiful bouquet of flowers you know uh, Mm -hmm. without Mm -hmm. any any decay there at Mm -hmm. all and it just Mm -hmm. fascinating I thought um, uh, I want to know more about this lady and my brother, uh, who is a philosopher, uh, brought me in touch with this other lady who writes about her. And uh, she mentioned that this this woman uh, used to teach, uh, like, uh, rich ladies how to draw in their Mm -hmm. gardens. So she would be allowed to go to these beautiful gardens and then teach all these rich ladies how to draw. And uh, While she was doing that, she also uh, created an embroidery with like embroidery designs uh of um plants and flowers and butterflies and insects mm-hmm. and uh, but i 've never been able to find that book i don 't think it exists anywhere anymore it's just its mentioned that it existed and but that 's how I started to think about her imagery her her art you know, um like, what would it look like mm. if you were to stitch this out? Like, what, mm-hmm. what kind of um, uh, stitches would I need to use to make chrysalis look like a crystal? And can I make something that looks a little bit 3D? Uh, mm-hmm. So there's one uh, of these images that I uh, embroidered, and it's got a pomegranate.
2: Mm-hmm. I wanted
1: to know, like, how can you make, like, the membrane look like mm-hmm. a membrane in the... Little arrows, you know, the little pips in the pomegranate. Like, what can I use yeah. that look like that? So mm. I just, yeah, wanted to reimagine her work um, mm-hmm. as embroideries, and that's I just, I just started, and I didn't let anything stop me <laughs> to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: How long have you been embroidering now?
1: Um, I think four years now. So Four not years. not
0: not very long on its. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, your work does look absolutely pro. So, if, if you had said, <laughs> "Yeah, it's really, really, really," it's it, it's unbelievable. So, so, what I'm curious about is, what you do is extremely creative, and it's also creative in a very niche way. It's not creative yeah. like. You're not you're not designing um, applications, which is creative but also very applicable, literally. Um, how does how how difficult was it, or maybe still is it for you, to be hyper creative, and at the same time? do whatever you want to do in the creative domain and still make a living out of it. Like, how difficult is it to be someone like you in the Netherlands? If other people are watching this and they're like, hey, this is exactly the route I want to take. Um, yeah. how, how, how difficult would that be?
1: Uh, I'd say it is difficult, not impossible, mm-hmm. uh, but it really depends like if you if you do this because it's your passion and there's just this inner urge that you need to create you need to make this item Mm -hmm. um then there's really nothing money-wise that could make you do it or make you stop doing it like it just Mm -hmm. it's just this thing that you need to do um and when it comes to having to eat every day and have a roof over your head. Like you have to just accept that it is not for everybody. Not Mm -hmm. everyone can afford something like that. And also Mm -hmm. you don't want to be trapped in a sense that um, someone has to tell you what to make. Like Mm -hmm. you want kind of freedom as well. So my favorite clients, and they do exist, and there is clients that will um, specifically save up money to to have a corset made by me. And they're by no means rich or anything, uh, but they, they see the value of mm-hmm. what I do. They see the craftsmanship, and uh, they know that they can't have a whole wardrobe filled with them, uh, mm-hmm. and neither would they want to but they want that special item Mm
2: -hmm. that is
1: made for them, only them. Uh, I can do like funny little embroideries on the inside of the corset as well. Just a little inside joke, you know, Mm -hmm. just no one will see that. And, but it's all for them and, and they're willing to pay for it. And even if they just pay in installments or, uh, uh, you know, it does happen that sometimes I will do a little bit more than is asked uh, for or paid mm-hmm. for, but just because I think, oh, it just needs this, this mm-hmm. extra thing, you know, I can't just leave it like this. It, the, the work itself needs this extra thing. So, yeah, yeah. This, um, it is not impossible. And uh, sometimes what you also have to remember is that look, not everyone wants a whole corset. I mean, what are you mm-hmm. going to do with it? Um, mm. uh, you know, I've got one lady she just has one on display in her living room mm-hmm. and it makes people talk about it you know she says it's right. a conversation her, and uh, uh, it's just an item of art now she doesn't mm-hmm. wear it it's just there for art's sake I suppose
2: yeah. and
1: um, um, it's the same as with uh, bridal dresses you, you wear that once and unless you're planning on getting married five times you know, yeah. it's a thing that you buy once and then that's it. So, and not everyone wants that, uh, but they may want something made by you, just because mm-hmm. they like your style or they um, they just want to own a, a part of it, you know.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and
1: then mm-hmm. that's where I just do the, the smaller embroidery as well. So I make uh, brooches uh, mm-hmm. or uh, like little... Clips that you can put in your hair when you're yes. getting married, for instance. You know, just decorations, or they want to wear it, uh, or to have it just hanging on the wall, uh, as wow. well. You know, just as a piece of art, uh, 3D embroidery, or uh, I make them in um, like a dome setting as well, like a bell jar. Yeah. So uh, I a lot of people like, for instance, I myself also like this. Uh, I like. Those old-fashioned displays of the bell jars with like beautiful butterflies on a piece of driftwood, whatever mounted, um, you know, with the just uh, yeah stunning colors combined together. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't really like the idea of having a dead butterfly on display. I, there's something kind of you know, like yeah. that I just so I just and also because if everyone if everyone wants that then you know how many butterflies that takes or you know mm-hmm. i just i just think that's a little bit wrong so uh, but i think if i make the butterfly then mm-hmm. uh, none of them had to die for it you know and uh, i can still have that beauty but without mm-hmm. all, the, all the
2: other
0: things. well here's the funny thing since you like philosophy as well uh, you could argue that the butterfly that you make, although it may not fly, it is actually alive because it was created from scratch by you and uh, yes. f- for that specific purpose, instead of an already living one having to be killed and then kind of like put on display. Right. Uh, are, are, yeah. are, are, are those things the, do, I see two of those things uh, uh, behind you in those, be- are those the examples you're talking about?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want me
0: to grab them? <laughs> yeah, please, please. I mean, yeah, I, 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 would love to see it. It's, it's insane.
1: Okay. Just it. So
2: here's, here's. Mine. Oh my god! <laughs> wow!
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow! So it's it's yeah. true with, with uh with Pearl Pearl. Uh, that is used in like gold work embroidery mm-hmm. uh, just to make it obvious that it is not a real one just
2: yeah.
0: to
1: kind of because otherwise people <laughs> from a distance will think oh yeah. she's just got <laughs> <You know. laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, butterflies
1: I, I, oh I mean, wow
0: a yeah. you know yeah. what I find actually? I, I
1: usually gold plate them as well so,
0: wow. so did you make the did you make them. the tree as well or the or the wooden uh
1: Oh, well, yeah, it's a it's a part of what they use in aquariums to, like, as decoration. Uh-huh, I see, so I like, see. A, it's like a bit of driftwood. So I just saw it in half and then okay. I mounted it on. Wow. Just,
0: like, <laughs> you know, what I find striking is that, you know, usually works like the works you're displaying, when you display them through, like, a, a, a camera, you know, a phone camera, they tend to lose a little bit of their glow. But that thing oh, you've yeah. made there does not lose its glow it's just like bah it's just there and I find <laughs> it incredible honestly I I um, I haven't been to the Netherlands uh, for like I, I think two years now since COVID. but I definitely know w- who to visit the first the next time I'm, I'm in Holland yeah
2: the,
0: yeah I, 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 yeah I have to so so I wanted to ask you a few things a few other things um, a mm-hmm. bit. A, perhaps a bit more technical, but um, see what kind of answers you 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 are coming up with. So, yeah, what do you think makes a corset maker a good corset maker from a technical or art artistic point of view? How would you judge um, another corset maker? I
1: think that. Um, Being able to make um, uh, something that looks Mm -hmm. well-fitting and uh, just overall neatly sewn, I think that's Mm -hmm. also something that I really value as well. Um, But I think the fitting part Mm -hmm. for me really tells me if the person knows what they're doing uh, Mm -hmm. or if they're doing it for... Uh, shits and giggles <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how uh, how would you rate the difficulty between making a corset and, for example, making a jacket or a shirt in terms of the pattern?
1: Well, I think, um, I, th- I yeah, I think uh, if I if I just if I go down to the like my basic knowledge of like Runxiao, for instance, which mm-hmm. is all about Uh, proportions and Mm -hmm. not really looking at the individual body but more like what is the look you want to achieve Mm -hmm. like you know um, then with corsetry there is very little room for error um Mm. it needs to fit really well of course there is you know, uh, you, can, you can achieve a lot of things through a bit of stuffing, you know, like they mm-hmm. always say, uh, um, what the good Lord has forgo- forgotten, we can stuff with cotton, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think there, there's like a similarity uh, between tailoring uh, and corsetry, um, mm-hmm. where you can definitely use a little bit of pad- padding here and there to mm-hmm. achieve a certain silhouette or mm-hmm. more drama in a silhouette, um, but uh, a well-fitting cup, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, of a bra, mm-hmm. and like a, a cup corset, that is technically, you know, that that is that is very sensitive. Like you mm-hmm. can very easily make a really ugly boob, and <laughs> you know, it's it takes a bit of skill and knowledge to uh, mm-hmm. to to get a, a pretty a pretty result yeah
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and would you say that it's easy to identify a badly made corset when you're not as specialized as you are at this point uh, well because you know when you look at a jacket for example or a shirt that is Badly made or or, or fitted, mm-hmm. you you can instantly yeah. tell the whole thing is just like you know off. Uh, yeah. Is, yeah, is yeah is, is, yeah. The, is the same yeah. the case with with corsets?
1: I think so. Yeah, I think that there is not a lot of uh, people that wear uh, like proper bespoke corsets.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: there are a lot of people that just buy them off the rack, and mm-hmm. they're all being designed for women with a B cup. And kind of a cylinder shape yeah.
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um,
1: and so you, what you will see is that the back uh, lacing that should just be parallel mm. uh, is like wonky like it will be v-shaped oh, or nice. or it pulls the boning in at the waist and then it kind of towards towards the top and the bottom uh, it painful. looks like it is a struggle to wear mm, <laughs> and mm. yeah it's a uh, yeah, you can tell it's not made for that person, but uh, like a badly made corset that was actually intended for that person, like someone that has not got a lot of experience or is trying out, like uh, I find it hard to be like overcritical because I always think that if I compare the ones that I made at my very start in this process, then, uh, you know, I wouldn't want someone to be so harsh about it either yeah. so yeah i'm kind of I'm a bit more reserved about that but uh say i've got uh because i teach a lot of courses, three classes as well uh if i have people uh, coming in usually they have already tried something out themselves mm-hmm. whether it was with the existing um pattern or something that they try to draft themselves then mm-hmm. i can see okay well this is where you've made the error or even if it's just while we're drafting the pattern, I can see where things don't make sense to me. It's just because I've been drafting corsets for, for such a long time, I can tell when it's off, you know, when mm-hmm. someone's made a, a funny snake shape somewhere where it should yeah. just be nicely streamlined, mm-hmm. you know. It's, um, yeah, it, it, a lot of it comes down to patterning and... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, and and it's not even so much material that can make or break it because I have now, you know, uh, discovered over the years that it doesn't really matter what you use. You can most of the time make a corset out of just fabric. You know, it just mm-hmm. uh, one thing will give you a nicer result, but uh, it, the the make or break is. Absolutely, with the pattern drafting. Mm
0: -hmm, And -hmm. And how long does it take roughly for the average corset to be made? Like how how many days does it take you to make, like a basic average corset?
1: A basic average corset I do within a day. And if I really push myself, I could possibly do two. And... um, I I do this quite often. Um, There's a a fashion house here in the Netherlands that I uh, do corsetry for as well. And Mm -hmm. that is a lot of, uh, you know, we need three courses. You've got one week to make them, make it so, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, then I just, uh, um, and that is drafting, making a mock-up, doing a fitting and making the actual thing. And just within one week, three corsets, I've done it heaps of time. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. you can do it really quickly. And mm-hmm. I, because I've been doing it for such a long time, I can work quick and I can work neatly. Uh, mm-hmm. But if I really want to impress somebody
2: mm-hmm.
1: and who is going to be looking up close uh, at it and it's, it's absolutely made for them and them only, then Uh, I really do take my time and any part where I feel like I'm being rushed uh, by myself or Mm -hmm. uh, other external factors, then I stop, I put it away uh, and I make something else. And Mm -hmm. this could be that I can make a pile of new uh, little comfy pants for my son, you know, (laughs) just a little production line Mm -hmm. just to get that, edge off of wanting to produce something really quickly to <laughs> yeah. um, satisfy that feeling mm. that you have really made a pile of stuff um, yeah. no time, but I, I really, especially with embroidery there is mm-hmm. no rushing I mm-hmm. mean, you can't rush that it is just, you can rush it in the sense that, oh, I'll work at, uh, at night on mm-hmm. it, and then come the morning, I think oh my god, how did these colours come together this doesn't work oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then do it and that's even more of a, mm-hmm. <laughs> of a struggle so you know, I just I, I think that is one of the biggest lessons I've had over the years is that I'm allowed to take time to make something mm-hmm. that it's nice that you can do something fast and sufficient and mm-hmm. neat That's 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 fabulous but you're allowed to take your time Mm -hmm. and if someone says oh my god how can you embroider for four months on something Mm -hmm. like you can just put it in a machine and it will do it for you it's Mm -hmm. like no i'm i'm allowed to take the time even if i take three years to make it it doesn't matter
0: yeah well that's how masterpieces evolve and I completely agree with what you say, and I I think I've observed this here in my training or during my training on Savile Row. Uh, One of the things I noticed was that um, a lot of tailors, they were rushed into or forced to rush the production of the garments they were creating. And uh, for whatever reason, a lot of them accepted being pushed into rushing things. And that happened so often that It had become a normal thing for any cutter or company to go to a tailor and say, here's a bundle, we need it in three days. And then, and the tailor would just say yes, a lot of times. And unfortunately, it's weird because the things that you are making and and the things that other people, the similar things that they are making they don't just fall into like an easy category of like you say seventeen pajamas in one hour. That's a very different category. And for for some something to really reach a high level of excellence, um, time is required. And it's a it's a struggle, I think, of ideas perhaps, um, yeah. to to see which one should be. You know, should should the tailor accept or should someone like you? accept a project that has to take one day or should, should they be like, no, the minimum is X, Y, Z. And, and these are the standards that I'd like to uphold. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: no, I do, sorry. no, no, please continue. No, I'd like to know your thoughts.
2: This
1: is why I do uh, a few different things. So I, mm-hmm. uh, I work for myself. I make, uh, commissions, um, mm-hmm. Uh, for people. Uh, then on that on the side of that, I also make whatever the hell I want, mm-hmm. uh, and with no purpose, no nothing. Just uh, I want to make something, and I'm diving in, and I'm taking three years to make something. I don't, you know, it's okay. Yeah. And like next to that, I also w- w- take on work for this uh, fashion house, and sometimes also uh, other. Uh, like fashion designers, Mm -hmm. um, where it is very much like, we Mm -hmm. want this, look, Uh, um, here's the fabric we wanted tomorrow or yesterday, you know, if you could. And, oh, we like it so much. Can you also make it in red? And it all needs to be done like Mm -hmm. at the end of the week. Mm -hmm. I do that because uh, I like to push my limits sometimes. Mm I really... Feel sometimes that when I'm at my absolute busiest, where I think oh, I can't take on another thing, is mm-hmm. when I feel most alive.
2: Mm-hmm. Like
1: the adrenaline, the stress, the yeah. the impossibility, like you get a fabric and you think, How am I going to make this out of that? Mm-hmm. It's not, it's never been done. I don't know if I can do it. Mm-hmm. And here I am doing it, and the end result is what they have asked. I have been learning to let go of like traditional ways of thinking of how something has been has to be made. It has mm-hmm. to be made like this. Mm-hmm. That's how I've been taught. You know, there is no other way to get a good result but this exact uh, method. And mm-hmm. then I think, but there has to be another mm-hmm. way because I only have two days, so I don't have time to... Yeah. Do it how it's supposed to, but how can I achieve that
2: mm-hmm. in
1: less? I like to uh, give my brain that kind of exercise, but mm-hmm. I don't like to do that full time. Which is why I'm not employed by any of these people full time because I just, I, I think I would work myself to death. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that yeah. that just would not be a good thing. And uh, when it comes to Someone saying, okay, I want that embroidery, but you have two weeks to make it. Like, I know that if I push myself, I could do something like that, but I won't. Like, Mm -hmm. I
2: won't.
1: That's where I say, okay, this is my area of expertise. Um, This needs more time. This is just not possible. And there's a reason why it's not possible, because it needs to be made with attention to detail. It can't be rushed. Yeah. and then on the side of that i also teach uh so i teach sewing classes and corsetry classes uh mm-hmm. to people.
0: you so have two two businesses you said
1: yeah yeah so yeah so i have um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the corsetry making um uh business and then also uh like a little sewing school where i just teach mm-hmm. all different people uh Different skills,
0: tailoring, mm. sewing, corsetry, and everything. <laughs> yeah. Would you say that if how important has it been for you to have um, your own business, but also have the skills necessary to actually? develop your business and make sure that it's steady and stable and, and and always prospering in the in the way that you want it to be um,
1: uh, I think finding a balance for yourself is always a good thing
2: mm-hmm. so that
1: uh, I think the versatility makes mm-hmm. me less able to get bored with one thing or another because mm-hmm. I can I can switch it um uh, when I need to, um, mm-hmm. I think it is so important to pass on knowledge and to not just keep it for yourself, but to
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, share it with others. And uh, yeah, I, like my biggest struggle when I was living in the Netherlands, I was looking for a teacher, someone mm-hmm. to tell me how to make it. And I had mm-hmm. to become my own teacher. For, mm. for very many years. And at, at a certain point, I also became too shy to ask mm-hmm. um, other people for help or tips or tricks or anything. Wow. I was. Um, I think part of it is my character, mm. <laughs> I, have to, I have to admit. Um, uh, and also, I think part of that character is also that if you haven't struggled, yourself yourself
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to
1: get to where you want to be you mm-hmm. can't say you've done it so well, what i well. see a lot of me is that uh so this may yeah this is maybe just a, a bit <laughs> uh too much but um what i see a lot around me is uh people uh uh hitting the help button mm-hmm. before they even Think about a solution. Yes. So um, I see that in my teaching as well. Um, someone will say, how, how do I do this? Here, you do it. You know how to do it. Um, so you uh, insert the zip, for instance.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I say, Okay, well, uh, I know how to do it. I've been practicing for many years. So I know how to do it. But you're here in class to learn how to do it yourself,
0: how to uh, work it out.
1: Yeah, so, and then I can, I can show them 10 different ways on how to do this. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I will ask them is that, how do you think it's mm-hmm. being done? Mm-hmm. And why would you mm-hmm. do it like that? I'm trying to make them use their own noodle mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of quickly <laughs> pressing the help button. And I think because, yeah. um, and it's not, because, not like holding information or anything, but making them just try to think about it. Mm-hmm. Because it makes you understand a lot more about why do things in a certain way. Yeah, it makes you uh, be able to problem solve um, uh, a lot better as well. So, uh, yeah. So I just I, I, I learned from many different books. I've seen many different techniques. I've mm-hmm. tried to find a teacher, and I couldn't really find anyone mm-hmm. that was willing to share their knowledge without Mm -hmm. fear, fear of me um, taking all their secrets and, you know, um, yeah, making money out of that, or Mm -hmm. uh, taking credit for something they have, obviously also fought and struggled to Mm -hmm. uh, obtain. So, So yeah, I've been my own teacher for a very long time, and that also means you're reinventing the wheel a lot of the time yeah and i think there have been easier ways for me to get where i am
2: mm-hmm. but if
1: i hadn't done it this way um i, I wouldn't know as much as i do now and mm-hmm. i also now know there's just so much more to learn that yeah. i'm also going to explore yeah
0: well you this is i mean this is a, another hour conversation on itself but you are posing a very important question there actually which is you know what is really the role of a teacher and and I, and I've been thinking about that a lot and I've also simultaneously been thinking a lot about who is really a master in what they do and i first of all i don't really have an answer so th- I'm I'm learning as much as I can from these conversations but one of the things that I have thought about is that a lot of people who did become exceptionally good in what they did didn't have someone who told them how to do it all the time which which kind yeah. of like forces them to go into weird places you know I mean look at the stuff you make that that's that doesn't come out of a template you know you know I you don't just go on google and, and type in, how, you know, how do I make everything Marlouis makes? And then you get, like, all the answers. It's like you go through history books, you go through the... And actually, as you're going into the history books, you're asking the question, what is the other side of the story? I don't want to hear about the knight and all the heroes. I want to hear about, you know, the, the hidden stories of of the other people that aren't mentioned in there. And then you go through that, and then you go through the journey of the... Uh, of 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 the of the woman you mentioned, uh, Marianne, uh, and and yeah. the, her joy, and you fantasize. You're like, how would her work be in the embroidery form and all of that? And and then and then that creates, you know, a part of you. Whereas if I would join your atelier and you would tell me all the things that you have kind of like summarized after a long journey, I'm only going to get the summary, and it's going to be your summary. The question is, what is my summary as a student and how can the teacher support the student here and there, but at the same time, really encourage and push them to go into their own journey and their own story? It's a very tough one. And sometimes you I wonder, uh, does it help to be the teacher that shares all the information? Um, does that make the students lazy or... Should you be the teacher that sometimes on purpose with the intention of you go and think withhold mm-hmm. certain things or at least delays the revealance of them? You know, um, mm-hmm. it's 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 a very, very interesting thought that I would like to explore further. Um, but now what I would like to do is I'd like to do a speed round with you. So I I have a few words that I kind of like wrote down as during our conversation. And I'd like to know the first thing that you think of when you hear the word. And if you can summarize it in a word, uh, that would probably make it more interesting for me. So are you ready? Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. let Let's start with the first one, which is history.
2: Sorry?
0: History.
1: Oh, history. Uh. Mm,
0: mesmerizing <laughs> mesmerizing okay philosophy yeah
1: impossible
0: at impossible. times <laughs> impossible at times okay um running running your own business a uh, a marathon not a sprint <laughs> a marathon a marathon okay um yeah being self taught or being an apprentice?
1: Mm. Ooh. Uh, perseverance,
0: perseverance,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, um, culture,
1: um, inspiration for sure. Inst-
0: inspiration analytical skills handy to have <laughs> <laughs> um what does it mean to be an artisan you can you can answer this one with more words if you'd like
1: yeah uh um uh, I once heard someone say this, that passion um, uh, is often seen as a verbality,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but in actual fact, it is a discipline. Mm-hmm. And I think being an artisan is really to e- explore the, uh, the discipline of something. Mm-hmm. Uh, to create until your fingers know what to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, until you can look at a fabric or you can look at a person and their shape and you already know what to do Mm -hmm. with a pattern, Mm -hmm. shape, um, even using colors or textures and, yeah, being Mm -hmm. able to do that. That means you need a lot of... uh, knowledge on, on in, in very different fields
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and not to me but also material choices and mm-hmm. how they behave themselves or misbehave
0: how mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah okay okay that's a very good Most answer uh, uh, i will certainly explore that um the ideal student
2: is a
1: nosy parker <laughs> a nosy parker that is curious until it becomes annoying. <laughs> yes. Because mm-hmm. that also, okay. it makes you think. It makes you think. Because mm-hmm. I, I've often come across like teachers, like especially at my fashion school, where you're asking too many questions they don't know the answer to.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: they're being like, oh, no, that's for, some, that's for another time. And I'm, and I'm thinking, is that really for another time? Like, now mm-hmm. is the time. I want mm-hmm. to know now and Mm -hmm. why not because they actually didn't know themselves and I see that with a lot of makers as well they Mm -hmm. make something because this is how they were taught to make Mm it Mm -hmm. not because that is the only way there is but just this is what they're comfortable with and Mm -hmm. this is how you do it and you know there might be a million other ways but that's Mm -hmm. not what we're doing you know we do it like this Mm -hmm. and um, that. Um, but also not really knowing why you do it this way and not another mm-hmm. way. It's mm-hmm. just you've not used your own noodle. That's just, mm-hmm. you know, Yeah. you yeah. have to explore. I need to know why do I do this to get this result? Mm-hmm. I really want to know. And mm-hmm. that what makes a good student that they, that they say, okay, now I see you do it like that. Mm-hmm. You're teaching me this technique, but why are we doing it like that? and mm-hmm. why can't I do it in a different way and mm-hmm. I just I let them explore it all you know I try mm-hmm. to like say okay well, do you think you have a better method mm-hmm. show me show yeah. me what it is that you think will work and then we see if it will or if it doesn't and maybe we have found the newest technique in corsetry mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah 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 um, the yeah the ideal teacher
1: um uh, is open um, and um, doesn't, yeah, doesn't hide things. You know, it doesn't just really is there to to spread their knowledge, mm-hmm. not to keep it to themselves, to spread mm-hmm. it, to let it grow without mm-hmm. fear of anyone starting their own business and doing the exact same thing. I think that's what i come across myself, been annoyed about myself so much and would never want to be like that but I also think that a teacher I find that my method, it works for me let's say this, it works for me um, that I am uh, approachable Mm -hmm. to my students and I explain things to them with kindness and Mm -hmm. patience Mm -hmm. so some people I need to Tell them a uh, hundred times how to do the same thing.
2: Mm.
1: And, you know, I need, even if I, at the hundredth time, I need mm. to be able to teach that or tell them how to do it um, with patience and kindness because we all have different ways of learning and absorbing things. And I also like to then try different ways to teach them this thing. So with some people, you have to really show them. With other people, you have to hold their hands while they do things. Mm -hmm. And with other people, you just have to mention it, and they can work it out in their brain already. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, it's knowing how to adapt your your methods to different types of students. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. (laughs) Um, Let's see. I think I've wrote something. I can't read my own handwriting again. Uh the worst thing about corsets? Uh
1: the prejudice against them.
0: Prejudice, okay, okay. Prejudice. Yeah, yeah.
1: That it's, it's 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 a it's a torturous device that is there to suppress women. And you know, my mom said to me, This is not what our foremothers have fought for they fought to release us from this thing and you're putting women back into them yeah, and men yeah. by the way yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. It, there's a lot of misinformation about it's um mm-hmm.
2: Uh, mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah
2: it's okay. just an item <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. well um it's it's definitely something of of um what's the word um of controversy when when it's kind of like viewed in in the in the wrong framework, let's say. Um, yeah. Last but not least, uh, Marluce, the creator. <laughs> how would you how would you describe yourself if you had to use one word? Hmm. A
1: dreamer. Dreamer,
2: Dreamer. Dreamer. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah amazing uh, Marlouz thank you thank you so much I, I cannot wait to uh, visit your studio and see all the beautiful work that you've created and I'm sure it's going to inspire me for a very long time once I actually see okay. the work from up close so thank you very much oh,
1: I look forward to meeting you in real life and thank you for having me
0: <laughs> it's my thank pleasure you. thank you and that was Marlouz did you see the butterfly she made Unbelievable. It just looked like a 3D render augmented into the conversation. Which parts did you find interesting? Please share your thoughts in the comment section, as I would like to know what you think. If you want to see more from Marluz, check out the links to our Instagram and website in the description of this video. And if you've enjoyed our content so far and you'd like to support us, then please subscribe to our channel. Until the next time, bye bye.